And uh, before I jump into that, I just want to say especially uh, to all of you in this room, thank you so much for coming out to the church picnic last Monday, our first annual Labor Day picnic. We had over 540 people attend our picnic on Monday. It was uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal day. Uh, and I got to tell you, it genuinely and earnestly blessed my heart in so many different ways. This is something that I had been thinking about for a couple of years now. It's something that uh, took a lot of work on the front end and even more work on the day of the event to try and pull off. Honestly, and I mentioned this before, we were really excited if maybe we'd get 200 people. And then as the numbers kept going up, the staff kept looking at me like, what are you going to do? Is there a cutoff? I'm like, I just want to see what this does. Like, Let's let, let it ride. Let's see how this goes. And so uh, we're so grateful for that. But I do want to take a moment. Uh, if you uh, served on that day uh, or leading up to it, you know, whether it was cooking or prepping or putting stuff together, tearing stuff down or any of that stuff. If you served in any way that day, would you stand for me, please, in this room? Anybody who served that day? Come on, you can stand up. Staff, board. Hey, Amen. Adorn. Come on. Anyway, leading up to it, Bobby, stand up. Bobby, stand up. You my, my chef. Come on. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Listen, it, it takes a lot of work to put off. Like, I did my daughter's two-year birthday, and I'm like, never again. Like, that in and of itself was a nightmare. But to try to put on an event for over 500 people and, and feed everyone with 95-degree heat and make sure that everyone kept their salvation, which I hope you did, it's, it was a lot of work. I'm so grateful for everybody uh, that jumped in and, and did stuff. And here's the truth. If you didn't get a chance to do that, we have several opportunities coming up between now and the end of the year for people to get involved and serve in some way, shape, or form. We just talked about September 16th. This Saturday is National Serve Day. We're going to all come together, and we're going to be able to clean up our neighbor. We're partnering with our local aldermen. They're giving us all the supplies we need in order to do that. We're cleaning up two separate parks, and if we have enough people, we're going to work around our neighborhood. Uh, we got some shirts made out for that. I think Kirby's rocking the shirt right now. Kirby, you want a model for me? There you go. It says serve on the back, said meet underneath. So and here's what I'm thinking. If you come Saturday, you get the shirt for free. If you don't come Saturday, you got to pay for it moving forward. And so if you want a free t-shirt, come on out. But then people will say, well, what does it have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with being visible to our community, right? Because like we know, the building is not that visible. And if people want to know we're here, it's not going to be just with signage on the outside wall, but it's with the people engaged in the life of the community. That's why we do events like September 16th. On October 28th, we have our annual Trunk or treat. Our children's ministry hosts an event in the parking lot where we have hundreds of people from all around the community who come out and they get Bible tracts and they get candy. Last year we had a big problem where we just didn't have enough candy and we had to run out and get more candy. This is a wonderful opportunity to gather together. If you want to be a part of that, you just talk to Pastor Evelyn. You get your car, you get your kit, you set it all up. Uh, I mean, this is another way to participate. November 1st, we have our pack and pray where we have a semi-truck full of pallets of food that is going to be dropped off at the church. And on that Wednesday, English and Spanish service, teenagers, young adults, we're all going to gather together in this room and we are going to be this little army that packs all these food together. Last year, we gave out over 1,200 grocery bags worth of food to people in our community. We're going to have the pack and pray on the 1st, on November 4th. We're going to distribute that food in our parking lot. That is our Share the Love and the Grub Day. On November 15th, we have Operation Christmas Child. 
cookout where we can come together and pack a little box of Christmas presents for a child in need around the world. Uh, We also have the Christmas choir if you just want to be a part of something. I said it again. Even if you can't sing, it's the beauty of a choir. We'll hide you somewhere in there. We'll get just look good doing it. We don't care if you don't sound great, okay? Listen, singing is 90% how you look. Did you see Dada? She was just moving and shaking. She was killing it. Now, if you can sing like her, even better. But even if she was bad, she got the movements down, right? The energy is in it. We have that. And then on top of all of those things, we have weekly opportunities to serve all throughout this church. That's why we keep plugging growth track because it's an opportunity to get into the life of the church. And that's how you grow by participating and serving, be it in our youth ministry, children's ministry, uh, on Sundays, ushering, parking lot, media. Like there's several ways for everyone to get involved. And here's the reason, because a lot of you are like, well, why are you bringing all this up? Because the reality is this, we are better together. The more we can do together, the more we will advance the kingdom of God. God did not call you to this church to watch me preach or to watch us sing. You are not called here to be a spectator. You are called here because God has a purpose and a reason for your involvement in this church. Here's the misconception a lot of people have when they're looking for churches. They look for churches that fit what they want, but the reality is God brings you to a church because you're a missing piece for that church. You are here to add to the church and to participate in the life of the church. We are better together, and that is the design of God. I don't know why God chose to use his church, but God's answers to the world's problem is through his church. God has brought us together for such a time as this to do the work that he has laid out. And the Bible tells us work that he laid out for you before you even said yes to him. Like, like if you're like, well, God doesn't have anything for me. No, no, he had stuff for you to do before you even knew he existed. God already purposed and planned a role for you in the life of the church. And as a church, we are called to band together to accomplish the task that God has sent us out to do. The reformer, Martin Luther, not King Jr., the other one, said God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. See, To me, last week we talked about unity coming together, but I need you to understand there's a reason behind our unity because when all those fingers come together, it's a mighty fist for the Lord. We are able to do powerful things. And so we are not just united so that we can have a nice picnic and have a kumbaya. Listen, I love that over 500 people came to the picnic, but if over 500 people come to the picnic and we don't even get that many people on a Sunday or we don't get that many people at any of our other events, what that says is I'll show up when it caters to me but I won't show up if I got to do something for somebody else. And listen, God's people, we are called to come together. There's a great example of that in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little backstory on what's going on in the Old Testament. Uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel, and then later on in the book of Nehemiah, which is where we're going to focus in on. But during the time of Ezekiel, God used the prophet Ezekiel to warn Jerusalem and the Israelites that were living there. He said, listen, I'm going to judge you. And things are going to be messed up if you don't listen. And in chapter 22 of Ezekiel, that's exactly what happens. He lists a bunch of sins that they refuse to turn away from. And a part of the reason why God was forced to judge them is because there was no one who would stand in the gap for them. Listen, Ezekiel 22:30. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. 
There were no volunteers. There was nobody who was willing to stand post. Now, the Bible reminds us that God does not lie. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So he wasn't bluffing in this situation. He told Israel he was going to let them have it, and he let them have it. He allowed the nation of Babylon to evade Israel. They completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and then they exiled the Israelites across the Babylonian empire. Now, there were servants of the Babylonians, and this happened all around 580 B.C. This is not some made-up mythical story. This is actual history. About 70 years passed, and the Babylonians were overrun by the Persian Empire. Now, the Persians began to allow some of the Israelites to go back to Israel and try to rebuild Jerusalem, but only about 2% went back. 25 years after that, there's a man named Nehemiah who comes on the scene, and he accomplishes what many thought was impossible. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah gets word from somebody who had gone back to Jerusalem, and he asks him, what's going on with my people? How is my city? And the report wasn't good. The walls are still torn down. The people are vulnerable. It's like you move into this new house with no doors. I know that there are places across our country where people don't lock their doors. My block is not one of those places. There's about 17 locks before you get into my living room. I'm just making sure we don't get any unsavory Packer fans wandering into my home. Keep them out. Lock the door. Listen, Nehemiah hears all this. And it breaks his heart. Now keep in mind, Nehemiah has grown up in exile. He's never even seen Jerusalem. But that's my people and that's my city. And, and the Lord begins to stir something up in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in a prominent position. He was a cupbearer to the king. And so he leverages that position and he gets authority from the king to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the walls. He gets paperwork, he gets supplies, and he's going to go do it. But here's the reality. One man cannot build a wall on his own. In order to do God's work, he needed God's people. God can put all the burdens on my heart he wants, but I in and of myself can never accomplish the work of the Lord alone. Nor am I called to. I don't know if you went to a church where the pastor did everything. That is not this church, okay? The pastor does not do everything. The pastor is not able to do everything. He's not capable to do everything. There are skill sets I just don't have, but you do. There are things that I or the staff are not able to do alone, but together we can accomplish much. Now in Nehemiah chapter three is where we see the people gather together to begin to help Nehemiah rebuild the wall. There are literally over 50 names here, and I'll be honest with you, I can pronounce about three of them. I tried to read this chapter, I read it to my wife, she fell asleep about a quarter into me reading it to her. This is probably one of the most boring chapters that I have ever read in scripture. It's right along the lines of all the other genealogies. It's Shabada did this, and his Shabada did that, and Jibaluda did this, and I was like, I, babe, I can't read that. Like, I felt like a foreign substitute teacher trying to read off the class list. So listen, to keep me awake and to make sure that you're paying attention, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out several verses from the book of Nehemiah. I spent enough time studying it. I do encourage you, go back and study Nehemiah chapter 3, because a lot of times when we look at chapters like that that we think are boring, it's because at a glance it probably is. You take a little bit of time to study, there's some really powerful nuggets that you can pull out of chapters that most people just brush over or skip over. 
But I want you to look at a few things that I, the Lord spoke to me when it came to how he does his work and the way that the Lord operates. And the first note, if you're taking notes, is this. God's work is done through leadership. God's work is done through leadership. Now here, you need to understand this. If you consider yourself a leader or if you submit to a leader, leaders are not above you, they go before you. Okay, so a leader doesn't mean that they're better than you, it just means they're the first ones to sign up. It's the one that God chooses to work through in order to accomplish his mission, okay? <clears throat> in Nehemiah chapter three, Nehemiah is gathering his people and the Bible says, then Elisha, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, where they dedicated and the Tower of Hananah. It started with the high priest. The high priest was like the lead pastor, the one in charge of all the other priests. And so the high priest, he was the first one to build the wall. Nehemiah was smart. He understood this whole project was God's burden. It wasn't my burden. And Nehemiah was wise enough to know that the first works should be done by the high priest, the highest spiritual leader in the land. Why? Because we're not just building a wall. We're doing God's work. Keep in mind that everything we do, we do unto the Lord. This is spiritual. And so building a wall doesn't look spiritual. The same way cleaning up garbage doesn't look spiritual. But scripture tells us, do everything unto the Lord. So everything that we do is to God's glory, is to make his name known. And so Nehemiah was smart. He gathered first the high priest. And then for the rest of Nehemiah, you see over 50 names mentioned of all these other people. It begins with leadership. It begins with the people that God has established. This is in part why, if you notice, at the picnic, the majority of the work was done by Belmont staff and by the Belmont board, the leadership, CLC, our church leadership council. Okay, Why? That was by design. Now, that was just the first year. God, we can't do that again next year. Next year, we need everybody. But I really felt it pressed on my heart. No, 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 no. We need to show the people that we are willing to do the work. That we are not sitting here just pointing at things, telling you pick that up and move that there. That we have to be willing to lead by example and not by just what we say. Here's the reality. God takes notice of leaders who lead by example and he also takes notice of leaders who don't. If you keep reading in the story of Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5, it mentions it like this. Next were the people from Tekoa. Though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. It's the only portion in this entire chapter where he points out someone who didn't work. And I kind of like that Nehemiah threw a little bit of shade at them. Nehemiah's kind of like, oh, we had this person work, we had that person work. They didn't want to work, though. So-and-so, da 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 We don't know the reason why. It could have been pride. They didn't want to bow down to another leader. By the way, if you consider yourself a leader, keep in mind that great leaders are not ones who yield authority, but who understand it. We all submit to someone Everybody has to submit to somebody. And so when you, you know, even those of you who are leaders of your home, who do you submit to though? Are you submitting to your leadership, to your pastor, to your counsel? Are you submitting to your job? Because here's the reality. You get a lot of leaders that are like, well, I'm the boss. Well, who's your boss? Are you submitting to the Lord? Because here's the reality. Some of us, it's hard to follow somebody who doesn't follow anybody else. So how can I submit to you if you don't submit to the Lord? How can I submit to you when you don't submit to your authority? This is how we lead well. We submit well. And if you submit to no one, don't be shocked when no one submits to you. 
God works through leadership. Second thing that I notice is God's work is done by will more than skill. God's work is done by will more than skill. Here's oftentimes what I'll hear. I want to serve. I want to help out. I'm not good at anything. I just don't have this. I can't do that. When we have this whole list of stuff that we can't do. Listen, I don't have time to go through all the things you don't know how to do. Tell me what you can do. Like, what do you got? What can you do? I can smile and wave. Got the perfect job for you. Smile and wave. Not a problem. Well, what can you do? Like, I like computers. I got the perfect job for you. Let's get you back there. Like, there's a role for everyone. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, we had a a sweet, precious woman in our church. She wasn't a boisterous person. She wasn't a young person. She didn't have all the energy, but she wanted to serve. And so I said, well, what do you do? She goes, Pastor, I really love to pray. Amazing. Can you dedicate yourself every Thursday to be in my office and pray throughout the duration of the service? There was such a powerful anointing over the services that that sister prayed for. There was such a powerful encouragement to me knowing that as I'm preaching, there's somebody battling in the spiritual realm. I had so much confidence from this little old lady who was just in a room by herself. No one else knew what she was doing, but the Lord acknowledged it. Listen, there is something for everybody. Everybody can do something. If there's still breath in your lungs, there's still ability in you. Nehemiah chapter 3, this is where I see it in this chapter. Notice it's kind of interesting, verse 6 through 9. Again, forgive my pronunciation if you're a major in Hebrew. If not, we're all just going to play ignorant on this. The old city gate was repaired by Jodiah, son of Paseiah. That's, that's what it sounds like. And Mesulam, son of Besodio. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed the bolts and bars. Next to them were Maletia and Gibeon, Jaden from Moronoth, people from Gibeon and the people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uziel, son of Harara. <laughs> Notice this. What was he? A goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. Raphia, son of Hur, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem, was next to them on the wall. You know, if you read this chapter, never do you see Joey the mason or Bill the construction worker. No, you see goldsmiths, perfume makers, politicians. You don't see skilled laborers, you see willing people. I would rather have a willing body than an absent skilled person, right? It's like, you know, you hear this euphemism all the time in sports. The greatest ability is availability. I don't care how amazingly skilled you are if you're not here to use that skill. I would much rather have somebody with no skill but a willing heart than someone with all the skill in the world who doesn't mean anything to me because your heart's not willing to serve because you don't do anything. And so here's what I've learned. If you simply say yes to the things that God has called you to, God will equip you and set you up for it. I tried to make it my goal throughout my tenure in ministry from the beginning. If I can, I will. And can was an ability, it was availability. So it was in my heart, listen, if if I'm able to do it, like if I have the time and I'm available, I am going to go ahead and do it. And trust me, God tests you on that. I remember one time I had that attitude and the youth pastor called me up and said, hey man, I got a friend who's stranded at the airport. It's 11 o'clock at night. Can you go pick him up? Drop him off at home. I said, sure, where does he live? He said, Champaign-Urbana. 
I said, if I can, I will. I guess I can, so I will. I drove all the way to O'Hare, picked up this guy. I mean, it is a gift if anybody picks you up from O'Hare, period. But I picked this man up from O'Hare. I had just gotten a hibarito to go home and eat. I'm driving down. He's talking about how hungry he is, and the Lord tells me, offer him your sandwich. I'm like, it's a three-hour drive there and a three-hour drive back. <laughs> Gave this man my sandwich, drove all the way to Urbana, drove back by myself, got home like at four in the morning. But you know what? That friendship... That man mentored me. That man worked with me. That man was the reason I got to go to Europe for the first time. That man never forgot that I picked him up at 11 o'clock at night and drove him three hours. Why? If I can, I will. If I can bless somebody, I'm going to try to do it. And God will equip you. God will help you to do that. Listen, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Very few. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Remember, God often doesn't just call you alone. But he calls you with everything you got, whatever little that is. Little boy with two fish and loaves, fine. I'll feed 5,000 people with that, right? It doesn't matter, you know, what you're capable of. God equips the ones he calls to do his work. So there's no excuse for anybody in this room. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your level of education is. Everybody can do something. And just sitting there watching is never going to be enough. What are you capable of doing? Do you contribute with your tithes and your offerings? Are you contributing with your service? Are you showing up? Are you participating? And then here, here's a step to take it up a notch. Because God doesn't just call you alone. But I believe when God calls you, he calls your family. Because here's the third thing. God's work is done through families. Why do I say that? If you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll think you're reading a genealogy. Blah, 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 son of so-and-so. Blah, 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 grandson of so-and-so. Father of so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so. They keep saying names of families. Every time they describe someone, over 50 people, it's with the family attached to them. Listen, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Next, Jedidiah, son of Harampath, repaired the wall across from his own house, and next to him was Hattush, son of Hashbaniah, and came Malkijah, son of Harim, Hashub, son of Papod Moab, who repaired another section of the wall and the tower of ovens, Shalom, son of Haloesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. Fathers, sons, daughters, grandchildren, family. Church, I want to encourage you to serve as families. Man, when you can serve as a family, when you can encourage each other to serve God together, to teach the next generation that the church is not something we attend, but a place that God has called us to to serve. Listen, I know they won't always like it. Your husband or your wife may not like it. Your children may not always like it. But there is something powerful when the family serves together. 
And I thank God that my mother and father laid that lesson out for us. So me and Pastor Evelyn and my older sister Maribel, my younger sister Jenny, we didn't know anything but to serve. We were on the regular schedule, mopping the church floor, cleaning up the balconies, making sure that everything was pristine, putting out the communion cups, serving things, going out in the street. Like no matter what it was, we were signed up for it. And again, I'll tell you, I wasn't always happy that we got signed up for it. I wasn't always thrilled by it. But it instilled something powerful in me, serving. You know what I love about serving? Is that serving is the level playing field for everybody. You might be smarter than me, you might know the Bible better than me, you might better hand-eye coordination, you might be better fit, whatever, but I can control my service. I will outserve all of you. And if I can outserve you, then I can be who God called me to be. Because I'm in control of service. And that's something that was instilled to me by my parents. That's something that stayed with me as far as I went. You know, we mentioned this week and over the last couple of weeks how grateful we were for Jenny Aguida and her family for all the prep that they did and the way that they served. Uh, some of you may not know this, but they actually went the night before with the crew of our people to unload all the food and to get all the things situated. And she stayed on the campground overnight so that they could get a head start on all the food prep and all the work. And then that night around 9.30, I got this text from her. You guys got that pic? I did a little screenshot of the text message I got. That is her, her children, her six-year-old and her two-year-old and her husband, Eladio, Aguirre at Camp Hickory, getting things ready for tomorrow, starting to teach them young. My response, teach them who we serve. Amen. Now, yes, there is a knife in that six-year-old's hand. <laughs> these are not breaking child labor laws. We didn't pay them, okay? So it's fair. Actually, he's really good at that. He knows what he's doing, and his mom is supervising him. But you know how much that blessed my heart? Because the families who serve together stay together. The families who serve together are blessed together. Like, I, I want people to recognize my family, not me. Not just me alone, but the Silvas, right? The Aguirres, the Aliotos, the Cortezes. Like, there's these families, and you know when you name them, you're talking about all of them. Even speaking of the Cortez, I had half them boys come to my house yesterday and just bless me and help me with some major projects. I had. Now, they I did pay we, we go with food because you pay teenagers with food. <laughs> but they helped me with a project that I've been trying to get done for years and I just needed the extra hands. And they came alongside and gave me those hands. Listen, it's so beautiful when a family can come together and serve together. When every one of your family members is serving in a different aspect of the church, that's when you know this is our family's church. Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away your foreign idols, your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live? I love this. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we serve the Lord. That is my great, listen, I, I have such a passion for this church. But my greatest desire is that my three children and my wife continue to serve God the rest of our lives. That's my first priority. Then I'll focus on everybody else in this room. But I won't sacrifice the calling that God has on their life for the job that God has given me here. Here's the truth. If I could start with them, it's a lot easier to help everyone else do what God's called them to do. 
We are called to serve as families. Come alongside each other and help them out. And here's the truth. When those families come together and we come together as a church, we learn a very important lesson. And that's the fourth thing. God's work is done side by side. Side by side. Our work is complementary, not self-serving. We each play a role in a bigger picture. Someone directs in the parking lot, others hold babies, others help you feel welcome, some sing, some make singers sound good online, some help out with the media, some help out in various forms throughout the church, but everybody serves a role. Everybody plays a part, and all those parts come together to do something beautiful for the Lord. When we come together, understand that we are serving side by side. Everyone works together. In the Nehemiah chapter 3, they're rebuilding the wall, okay? They're not building individual sculptures. So if I'm building a section of wall, one of my priorities is to make sure that my section of wall matches with your section of wall and matches with your section of wall. If I'm building a brick wall and you're building a metal fence and you're building a wooden fence, how many know this don't work? This ain't happening, no, we have to be in unison. We have to have that unity of understanding that we are building God's church, not Pastor Joey's church, not your personal church, not your personal preferences. We are building what God is calling us to build as a church. Nehemiah chapter 3, 16 to 20. Listen to what it says. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the leader of the half district of Bezar. He rebuilt the wall from the place across the tombs of David's family, as far as the water reserve of the house of warriors. By the way, I walk that area, so... Reading the scripture, I was like, I walked there. Um, next to him, repairs were made by a group of, real, of Levites working under the supervision of Rahum, son of Benai. Then came Hashbiah, the leader of the half district of Kelah, who supervised the building of the wall on behalf of his own district. Next, down the line, his countrymen, led by Benua, son of Hananad, the leader of the other half-district of Kelia. Next to him, Ezar, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section of the wall across from the ascent to the armory near the angle of the wall. Next to him was Barush, son of Zabiah, this, uh, who zealously repaired an additional section from an angle of the door of the house of Eliashab to the high priest. Notice how many times in that passage of scripture the phrase next to him was used. We don't serve independently from one another. We serve together. Next to him. And can I tell you something? That's why we implore you so much. That's why we talk about growth track. Because you grow together when you serve together. When you are side by side, when we're out there on Saturday cleaning up and I'm standing next to somebody and I'm picking up trash, listen, I'm not going to have my headphones in ignoring the rest of the world. I'm going to go, huh, that's gross. What do you think? Like, I'm trying to have conversations. I'm trying to get to know. One of the best parts of the picnic was serving with people next to each other. I was watching the people in the kitchen. Man, there were people that became family in that kitchen, mostly because of their annoyance with you. But outside of that, they be no, I'm just kidding. They became family with one another. The stress of trying to get everything done and yelling at what each other. And I just kept seeing them going, this is so beautiful. That's the church. And some of us have robbed ourselves of precious relationships because we're not next to them when God has called us to be. The church suffers when there is no one next to him. Ephesians 4 verse 16 says this. <laughs> he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
We need every one of you to do your job, to serve your role. It may not seem really important. You know, we're talking about uh, football season right now, and you know, everybody wants the quarterback's jersey. Nobody wants the left guard's jersey. Most of you are like, what's a left guard? The big boys that stand in front and block for the, for the quarterback and the running back. They're, they're unsung heroes. But guess what? You don't ever notice them until they're not there or they make a mistake. Then all of a sudden, it's a real big deal. Listen, some of you think your role isn't that big a deal. It is a big deal when you're not there to do it. Every one of you, when you're absent from your post, when you're absent from your role, when you refuse to step into what God has called you to do, the church feels it. Because what happens? When you don't do your job, the rest of the church has to compensate for it. So if I hurt my right knee, my body doesn't just stop. I still got to keep going. But my left knee now has to overcompensate for what my right knee is not doing. And in the same way, when you refuse to do your job because you're too busy, because you got this going on and that going on and blah, 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 blah. I've heard all the excuses. You can, you can say whatever you want. But when you refuse to do your job, it puts weight and strain on the rest of the church to have to lift your load and have to fill the gap for you. Worship team, if you can help me out. No, no, God has called us to serve side by side. Some of my greatest friends in this church are people that I serve side by side with. You know, guys like Mark, we were in each other's wedding. This is before he dyed his hair blonde again. I said, Mark, you're a deacon now, bro. Come on. <laughs> but he's, he's been a, such a great confounder in my life. People that served with me in the youth ministry that, you know, I'm kind of sad now that I had to transition out, but I'm like, we can still be friends, right? <laughs> Why? Because, man, I've served alongside you. It's very similar, not to, you know, water down, but when you talk about soldiers who've battled together in war and become those battle buddies, it's a shared experience that nobody else gets, right? There's some things that, you know, if you're a cop, nobody else gets it unless you're a cop. If you're a doctor, nobody else understands. If you're a doctor, even for me, there's some things that you don't get because you're not in ministry the way I am. Sometimes you just need to be around like-minded people. And when it comes to the church, we need the church. Because only we get each other. Only we understand what that's like. But here's the truth. We have to be careful as we're building the church that we're not building a solid wall. Yes, they rebuilt the wall for protection, for beauty. But notice, if you read Nehemiah chapter 3, there are several gates ways to get in and out of the city and as a church we have a gate I want you to look at something in Nehemiah chapter 3 and notice the last two verses 31 and 32 it says Malkijah one of the goldsmiths repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across from the inspection gate then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner, the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. Now, do you remember the first verse I read with the high priest? Where did they start? Sheep gate. Makes sense, right? They're building a wall around the city. So you, where you start is where you're going to end. But there's something significant about the fact that they had the sheep gate. Now, just to be clear, a lot of the names of the gates weren't like clever, super spiritual names. 
okay? The sheep gate is where the sheep came in. That's why they called it the sheep gate. It was, it was where they would bring the sheep for ceremonial situations that they had within the temple. It's called the sheep gate because uh, it was the entrance for sheep entrance to the temple compound from the sheep markets where lambs were sold and sacrificed for the temple and the sheep pool, which is later called the pool of Bethesda, where the sheep were washed for sacrificing. Thousands of years later, when Jesus was on earth, he would always enter Jerusalem via the sheep gate, except for his triumphal entry. The sheep gate also led to Golgotha, the path that Jesus took to his crucifixion. I love that God doesn't do any accidents in scripture. Everything has a purpose. The sheep gate was where the sacrifice entered and exited. And the sheep gate was where Jesus came in and came out. Why? Because that sacrifice is what opened the door for all of us to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 6 through 10, it says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Would you stand with me, church, as we get ready to close? The sheep gate is salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. The sheep gate had no bolts or bars because salvation is freely available to everyone who is willing to enter through it. It was built by the high priest. And scripture goes on to tell us that now Jesus is our high priest, our highest spiritual authority. And his death opens the way for us and restores free access to the Father. Church, it's important that we recognize that what we're building is not a country club for the faithful. What we're building has a gate that Jesus Christ died on the cross for people to freely enter if they're willing to give their lives and believe that he is who he says he is. And it is important that we not block that gate. It's important that we recognize that everything we build is so that more people could enter that gate. Everything we do, there's no side entrance into heaven. There's no back door. There's no 50 ways lead to God. There's only one way, and that's through the sheep gate. And everything we do is to funnel the lost sheep through that gate. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads for a moment. We're going to pray that God would help us understand that, yes, you already got to go through the gate. But your work has only begun because the world is filled with people who don't even know the gate exists. And you are on the inside being blessed by its pastures. I want to pray that God would help our heart to recognize that we serve not at the behest of your pastor, but of your king who has called you for such a time as this. Before I do, I wonder if there's anybody here You've never given your life to the Lord. You haven't walked through that sheep gate. 
but you want to say yes to Jesus. You recognize that alone, I can't do this anymore. There's something missing. The Lord has opened a literal door for you to walk through to accept him as your personal savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, this isn't about joining Belmont. This is about accepting a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to call you out just right where you're at. Would you just lift up your hand if that's you? If you want to give your life to the Lord for the first time. Just want to make sure I give everyone an opportunity before we pray for the rest of us. One more moment and then I'm going to pray. Amen. Then church, let's pray because we got work to do. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for every person in this room that calls Belmont home. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us again and again that there are others who need this home who have yet to walk through that gate. And so Lord, I pray that we would help us understand every opportunity to serve is a service to your kingdom, is a service to that opportunity. And God, we may not see the end from the beginning. We may not understand how cleaning up a neighborhood might do that. But Lord, if it's just one person who out the the window of their house sees our shirt, recognizes that name, visits our church, gives their life to the Lord, then God, the three hours were more than worth it. God, if one person who comes to our trunk or treat or or our, our giveaways for food, if they recognize someone and they realize that there's a need in their life, God, it's more than worth it. Lord, we don't want to be a country club. We don't want to entertain the faithful, Lord. We want to save the lost. So God, help us, Lord, to bind together, Lord, to understand that our will is greater than our skill, that it doesn't matter what we don't know. It matters who we know, God, that you will equip us, that you will lead us. Lord, I pray for our leadership, that you give them vision, that you help them to do what they can't do for themselves. God, I pray that you would help us be families that gather together, Lord, from the oldest to the youngest, almighty God. Help us, Lord, to rebuild your kingdom and build your church, God. To do the work that you have called us to do. To be united, not just for fellowship, but for purpose. We thank you, Father, because you have called us to this church for such a time as this. Help us, Lord, to put our hand to the plow, push with everything in us. We thank you, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said... Come on, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Listen, I want to encourage you on your way out. If you are not actively serving, we have growth track in the back. You can sign up and get more information. Men, we encourage you to come back 6120 at 2 o'clock. Even if you're not into football, there is a bags tournament going on with some prizes.